Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to this free episode of Dunked on Prime. If you want to get every episode of Dunked on Prime, including Hollinger and Duncan, you can subscribe to Dunked on Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon dot supporting cast dot fm all right like dunked on is famous for we are going to have a tight snappy show absolutely no dead time this is the format for today we're going to look at the first 10 or so games for most of these teams i think every team in the league now has played 10 games except for houston we're going to figure out what the biggest question was that has been created by these first 10 games we had our questions coming in at the start of the season we want to figure out now with 10 games or so under our belt what has piqued our curiosity what are the questions the one question for each team that we think is going to define these next few months or so that has really piqued our interest so we're going to go from worst net rating to best net rating and we're going to talk about each team for exactly two minutes and give you a 60-minute show. Let's start with the San Antonio Spurs. Worst net rating in the NBA. They're 3-8. and eight. Danny, my question about them is, are they mismanaging the Victor Wembanyama era? It's an important question, especially in light they played earlier this week of what's going on with Chet Holmgren. And I mean, they're not identical players, but they are pretty similar. And so Holmgren is basically playing the five. It's making the Thunder offense look very good. I mean, I think the Thunder offense, when they've had their guys, have been better than last year. And also, Holmgren doesn't have the latitude to do some of the stuff that Wembenyama is doing. Will that have benefits long term? I don't know. Yeah, is 30% usage, taking a ton of jump shots, playing almost no center, having nobody on the team who can pass and set him up at all, having the worst net rating in the NBA by over three points per 100 possessions. Yes, it is the San Antonio Spurs. Yes, they have done a good job of developing players over the years, but I'm concerned. I'm concerned that it just shouldn't look this bad. They have more talent than this. They shouldn't be the worst defense, basically, in the NBA again. Like last year, you could write it off for the tanking, this year, they're not taking. They're trying to actually build a culture. There isn't a Victor Wembanyama in the draft this season. So we'll see. Maybe we'll be chuckling that we ever thought this could be the case by the end of the year. But I'm not loving the first 10 games of the Victor era. One other quick note. They also have a lot of guys they intend to be starters on the next great Spurs team already. This is not a partially formed team. They intend for this to be not fully formed, but for them to age into contention. That's different than these young teams sometimes. And that was the timer. So we can move on to the Washington Wizards. And my big question with them, I think we kind of know what the Wizards are, is, is Bilal Koulibaly the real deal? And if so, what's his role on offense and defense? 
Yeah, this has been a, a very interesting question. I think he's the real deal in terms of I like the clay that he is right now. It's not realistic to expect him as the number seven overall pick as raw as he was to be showing, throwing up 20 point games right now, looking polished uh, on defense. But you're seeing enough flashes for this stage that you completely understand why he was taken where he was taken. Right. And the idea of why I said what the ideal role is, is because Washington has more opportunities than most to change what they're doing around Koulibaly should he be worth doing that. Now, you're probably still going to take the who you think is the best prospect in the draft, but is he, you know, offensively, is he a secondary ball handler? Do you want him actually running the show? Do Can maybe do some stuff with him as a screener? And then defensively, there are a lot of different ways, and I, I'm glad that we're developing appreciation for this, that a person can be impactful defensively. And so is it point of attack? Is it wing defender? Is it help defender? Like all of those different things, it changes how you build out the Wizards from here and how how tenable it is to have Poole, Kuzma, and some others. Do you think we will have a good answer to this question after a year, or are we still going to be asking the same question next year? I think we'll have a preliminary one. I mean, just getting a sense of we'll get a lot more tape, hopefully, as long as he stays healthy on like what kind of players does Koulibaly do well against? What kind of players does he struggle against? And then, yeah, we'll get a lot more color on that. You know, he's probably maybe he won't play in summer league, but by the by the start of next year. But yeah, I think we'll get some. Yeah, I don't expect him us to think, hey, this guy is the next superstar, but a nice complimentary piece. Uh, we have an understanding there. Perhaps so. Charlotte, they've started three and seven. They've had a ton of injuries. They have Mitch Kupchak, Steve Clifford in the last year of their contracts. And they also have new ownership. And they are among the worst defenses in the NBA. Mitch Kupchak. We'll see uh, whether he and Michael Jordan made the right pick with Brandon Miller. Nobody in that top four uh, other than Victor has really had a chance to distinguish themselves yet in part due to injury. So too early to say on that. But at three and seven with absolutely no guard depth whatsoever that immediately is challenged by one of their two reasonable guards, Terry Rozier, getting hurt. It seems to me like the Clifford and Kupchak era will be ending relatively soon so my question is going to be what changes is new ownership going to implement and when i don't think anyone has made much of an argument to stay as of yet lots of moral hazard potentially here um and ownership can veto that you know they can avoid trading you know future picks or something else to get better right now but Cupcheck in particular, like, I think he's done a poor job. I thought they should have replaced the decision makers before the draft. That didn't happen. Charlotte had a very like non-impactful free agency period. And so, I mean, I would have different people in by the trade deadline if you don't already do it now. But I don't know that that's what they're actually going to do. It was so weird, too, because Kelly Oubre, Dennis Smith Jr., like these are players who actually like were at least better than the guys that they have now that they had the means to retain both those guys signed for the minimum you would think if they and it's not like the hornets are like so close to the tax rate like they could have brought those guys back if they wanted to it seemed like they just didn't want to and instead they just don't have good players at those positions <laughs> it's crazy so uh yeah i i want to see if plot Schnall, how they, they're going to be an upgrade on michael jordan the fourth worst net rating in the NBA belongs to the Memphis Grizzlies. They're two and nine. And so my big question is, can they even make it back into the mix after John Morant returns? And as a related question, are, are they meaning own management, ownership, front office willing to add to make that bounce back more likely? 
you know, maybe there are some parallels between them and that New Orleans team from a couple of years ago that I believe started three and 16 and actually made the playoffs coming out of the play in to do so. The fact that maybe they could get back to the 10th seed that the West doesn't look that great. Maybe there's like a little bit of hope still there at this point. But the problem is they're continuing. They haven't stopped digging. That's the first rule of getting yourself out of a hole is to stop digging. They haven't done that sure. yet. So I, I think you, my initial doubt would be probably not. Uh, and you had a sec- second question about that too, of are they willing to add to their team to make it more likely to get back in the mix? John and I talked about this today. I was, we, when we did time to panic, I was like, they've already gone past the 10, past denial, and they've already reached acceptance. And maybe they're just like, hey, you know what? We're going to get another good draft pick this year. And maybe that's how how we add to uh, our team going forward, either via trade or with that player. And let's see also whether John Morant actually has it still and whether he's able to uh, keep his keep out of the police blotter or, or the social media blotter, as it were for the rest of the season and that's important important information i wouldn't want to throw good money after bad the rest of the season to me at least it would be so jarring to see memphis trade two first round picks and tyus jones for marcus smart and already be out of it by the time he plays with john brant on his suspension we already knew was happening yeah we haven't gotten a timeline yet on smart's latest injury the portland trailblazers i'm just a little concerned about scoot henderson and his ability to stay healthy we've seen a lot of these super athletic point guard prospects struggled to stay healthy he's not quite the reckless style of a morant or derrick rose necessarily and russell westbrook is someone who's been remarkably durable over the course uh, of his career but he's had a bunch of injuries over the last two years in the g league and now he has this ankle sprain it's a bone bruise he's gonna basically miss the first month and it's just it's not great when a guy that you really need to develop over a two or three year period that you're going to put the ball in his hands just doesn't start off his career healthy. You know, I think a, a men Thompson maybe is in a little different situation in Houston because they're not putting as much on him right away. But that's just something to keep an eye on with Scoot Henderson. He didn't start off the season very well. Then he got injured. My concern level is just it's a little bit higher. I'm not. I'm feeling just a little bit lower on him than I was, you know, after summer league where, by the way, he also got injured and couldn't complete summer league. He he couldn't there. And the Blazers look like they're ahead of the game with Henderson and Shaden Sharp. But if Henderson can't stay healthy, then we'll have those concerns. And the hopefully this absence is just like it's been the opportunity for Sharp to shine. But there's an also the idea and heaven knows Portland is familiar with this where, you know, injuries beget more injuries. And I hope that's not the case. I love Scoot Henderson and I, I want to see it be different than that. And I mean, obviously they're also dealing with Robert Williams, who isn't as important to their arc, but could be extremely important for the best version of the Blazers over the next couple of years. We can move on to the New Orleans Pelicans. They're five and six, but they have a negative seven net rating overall. And my question for them isn't necessarily new or inspired. It's it's inspired by the first 10 games, but it's just a, it's a basic one for me, which is, is their core compatible? And by that, I pretty much mean Zion and Ingram. If you want to throw in CJ McCollum and other stuff, but we've already litigated those. And the reason why that matters is because New Orleans, they have real resources. They have some form of financial flexibility. So the, if if they come to an evaluation here, yes or no, they can really make moves on that evaluation 
Yeah, to me, the compatibility also comes with just that Zion Williamson has to be the guy that he's been at his best, which he hasn't sure. been yet. I mean, that that to me personally would be the bigger question of, is he just going to get back to the level that he's been at his best? Because if he's not, then he's got this era is you know kind of stuck in the mud. They still have some assets going forward. They still have some other good players. I think uh, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy the third. those are guys who do fit pretty well with this group. Jonas Valanciunas, maybe not. And they also have this coming financial apocalypse as well, uh, in part in, caused by the C.J. McCollum deal. So it's not only those two guys fitting together, but when you have a three and a four, neither of whom can guard, then you got to play a Herb Jones, but he can't really shoot. And so that's going to limit your offense. And you got to also play a center, but the center probably can't shoot either. And and so you end up very quickly with a weird team. You know, I think those two guys as offensive players should be fine together as your number one or two. Perhaps it's really more the defensive limitations that are a concern to me. But if Zion Williamson isn't going to like, I mean, he stayed healthy, which is great. But if he's not going to play at the same level he was playing at, then you know, all this kind of seems moot anyway to me. It could very well be moot, and it's it's a lot to take in. Let's move on to the Utah Jazz. Yeah, I want to know if Keontae George is the future at point guard, and I think we're going to find that out in relatively short order because the rest of their cards have been pretty bad. They have been, and the other reason this really matters for the arc of the franchise is that the good news is Danny Ainge, Justin Zanuck have other tools available to find that lead player if they need to. They have they could trade guys. They have they have a ton of draft capital moving forward. They have cap space if they want to go that route, either in 24, I think they could do it in 25 as well. So if it's not George, they can do it. But if it is George, then you start to get into some really fun conversations for the Jazz of using these resources to get complimentary players, and then you're overbidding. You can get the really the best to fill whatever roles you want next to George and Larry Markkinen and Walker Kessler. Yeah, and George looks comfortable. He looks the part rookie point guards who spent a year in college are not going to necessarily light up the scoreboard uh, in terms of their efficiency but uh, i think he, he the fact that he has earned a pretty big role is important i'll throw one out secondarily about the jazz too of just what is larry markinen like sure. that's maybe more a question that is starting to get answered for me because as much as they have been looking for someone who can create offense like his usage still only 25 and he's in ultra efficient he's shooting the ball just as well again like i think he's a really good offensive player but also doesn't look like he's making the leap to being like just a number one dead bang offensive option that you can build an entire offense around reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Next up, the Detroit Pistons, who are 2-10, and 10, but only have a negative 5.9 net rating, which is better than a bunch of these other teams. And my question for them is, we know that Cade is kind of at the top of the top of the young guy pecking order, but who is and is not in tier two of their young core is going to make a huge difference for who Troy Weaver or theoretically the next 
Detroit general manager really builds around in this phase, which seems like they need to start moving forward quickly. Who do you have the biggest question marks about there? I think Isaiah Stewart is in it, but what is his role within it? I'm not sure. And then like how I I think Asar Thompson deserves a place in there. I've loved his defense so far, but how salvageable, you know, he had a much better offensive game. I think that was on Tuesday, but how, where, where is he relative to everything else? Is he such a good defensive player that you need like a supernova offensive guy next to him? Like all that stuff is, is key. Everyone else, like I think I'm, I'm open to all of them being good enough. So like Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran and all that, but I'm not all the way sold yet. Yeah. I, I would add to that just the fit of all these guys together. And Jalen Duran has done a lot offensively early, but then it, he's had these multiple sprained ankle issues uh, where he's out now. You know, defensively, uh, you feel like maybe overall they should be a little bit better than they are. Sure. But I, yeah, I, I think if I were picking this one, I would just say that. I mean, some of these younger guys, I kind of like them and you could see them developing into a core, even though the fit of all of them together with the lack of shooting is not great. But yeah, that just Kate is the is the guy that I have the, the big question mark about. And I hope that I'm not actually coming to an answer in the negative uh, about what he's going to be. Definitely a concern, but we could get to a different central division team within it would probably a, a, a more disturbing question. That would be the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. What is hope? for this Chicago Bulls team. Like, what are you hoping for if you're management? What are you hoping for as a Bulls fan? Is it Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan play better and then can be moved? Is it that those guys play better and they're in the play-in again and maybe they make the playoffs and are summarily dismissed by the Boston Celtics or the Sixers? Is it that some of these guys are going to play better than they have? They're just, there isn't much hope in that respect, right? Of like, I mean, you could hope maybe that your Vucevic's and DeRozan's and Levine's get back to the level that they've established. Like that's probably the biggest reason why they haven't been where they were in previous years with this group. But I've kind of, I don't know if I have any hope anymore about some of these young guys popping, even if the young guy <laughs> at this point, Patrick <laughs> Williams. Uh, I so be, I, I, be I that's, could help. yeah, I, I mean, but that's, that's my question of just what does, what is management going to make of all this? And will they have license to kind of just cash out and rebuild? Or do they just continue to throw good money after bad money after even worse money? The other hope for the Bulls, and this isn't the hope that they want to focus on, it's a silver lining, is I think that all their principles, maybe other than Vooch, are drawing would draw interest around the league. Like if they want to sell on Levine, Caruso, DeRozan, I think they can do that no problem. And Vucevic also can't be traded yeah. for a well, while. Well, interest, but at the level of like they'll get something back that they're, they're going to remain competitive or oh, no, probably where it's not. and or is it? such a big haul that it's like well hey we obviously had to do this like the same way as to Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell like no I don't think I don't think it is and so then it's be like oh you traded DeRozan for like a first round pick and, and a bag of balls like uh, should you just held on to him do you want to reset like it just none of these things I think are palatable for management to take to ownership next up is the Milwaukee Bucks and my big question is is a very simple one it's just can they unlock a top five offense it hasn't looked good for them until tonight when they went 20 to 39 from three against the, the Toronto Raptors. But this is really the first game where their offense has looked 
the way that you hoped that it would, where they really got Dame Lillard clicking, uh, even though Giannis didn't play. I mean, that's interesting, right? Like the, that it is. those two guys were supposed to be like incredibly complimentary. John and I picked them as the two most complimentary stars and they just uh, have not been able to get it going together yet. There, there are plenty of reasons to believe that this will succeed in time. I mean, the, the, the compliments of their skills and, and the way they can work in transition, the Bucks have gotten to the line a ton. They've been the number one team in free throw attempt rate. But some of that is also the depth pieces that they're going to have to play. Remember, they don't have Grayson Allen anymore and some of these other pieces. And like the weirdness of like Malik Beasley, who was firing away at like three different locations over the last couple of years, not taking as many threes. There are these other elements that are making me a little concerned also coaching. You know, that's something that we still need to figure out there. And I don't think you need an offensive wizard to figure out how to make this all work, but it will take some work. Like this is not, it's not automatic and we'll have to keep an eye on it. Yeah, encouraging that Beasley went crazy from three tonight as well, and and maybe that can be part of them just running and gunning a little bit more and and making it easier. But yeah, if they're not a top five offense, I don't see them competing for a championship. Like, and it should they should be a top five. They they should be, and that was a part of my kind of theory of the case here is that they'd be good enough defensively after the trade, but then they would would have the offense that could make them saying kind of the reverse of what the Bucks were in prior years. We're actually going to stay in the Central Division for a fourth consecutive team in terms of net rating, and that's the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, Darius Garland is having a real weird start to the season at the hamstring mm-hmm. issue. He's out, he's out again now. They did win today in Portland, but he's turning the ball over on 25% of his possessions. And I mean, he's their second best offensive player by a mile. If if he can't get back on track, then they're not going very far. They have a lot of other really good players, but I don't think that the combo of Mitchell, Mobley, and Allen, just those guys is good enough to get the Cavs to where they want to be. Now, they can still be a, a relevant playoff team. They can still be dangerous, but not not really, you know, like winning some series and everything like that. And Garland, the two-headed monster, also the raising of the floor that that does, that you have a, a really good offensive player at all times. All those things are extremely important to the theory of the Cavaliers. And like, I mean, there have been times when Garland, I thought he played reasonably well in the, the game against the Warriors, the Chase Center that I attended in person. But th- those performances actually make you appreciate how important he is because otherwise this team just is less dynamic. And you can also just point to, will their shooting luck normalize? You would think it probably will. Like the opponents are shooting 40% from three and guys who are well-known established gunners uh, like Garland and like George Niang uh, can't hit a shot right now. So uh, I think these guys are, are still going to be okay or things that, that things might normalize, but there's also a lot of pressure on this organization this year. And if they can't continue to trust the process uh, that has gotten them to be a very good regular season team when healthy the last two years. And if things maybe start to unravel emotionally that because of the fact that they the shot making just hasn't been there, the health hasn't been there early, you know, can they keep fighting along and allow their talents to take over? The Miami heat. This is a juicy loaded question considering they made the NBA finals last year. Even at full strength, is the Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero Foundation strong enough to produce a viable contender? Yeah, and you've got three guys at different points of their career. Adebayo is really just continuing to improve. Jimmy Butler, it's more about keeping him going for the until the playoffs. And then Hero has his injury issues, and you know, maybe he'll be a, a trade candidate. But I think offensively, I want to say they need more. Uh, to really be a team that can win four playoff series. 
Exactly. It's not about can they win a series or two. I mean, Jimmy Butler has been the best player in a lot of playoff series recently. But in order not only to beat four teams, but like to beat two or three really good ones who have different strengths and different weaknesses. And I mean, we saw the Heat do a lot of it without Tyler Hero last year, but this is a different squad and they they have it they're leaning on internal replacements. And I just don't think the players they have now are as talented as some of the guys they've like, oh, not even just Struce and Vincent, but over the years they've had these they've filled they've backfilled roles and they've done a better job. But it's a lot to ask. And next I mean, up we, these oh, yeah, oh sorry. No, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, the the Sacramento Kings next up. My initial question is going to be, are they going to make some shots? Well, they actually did that the last two nights. So I want to focus instead on Keegan Murray and his development. He hasn't been particularly efficient. He's been shooting very poorly from three. I think he's proved himself to be a pretty good shooter. Although, you know, is he going to be over 40% again from three and, and for his career like he was last season? That's that's asking a lot. Uh, and But I also want to know whether he can take the next step forward defensively so that they can actually guard people on the perimeter so they can have more of a physical presence on defense at the four position Harrison Barnes can muscle guys around a little bit but he famously has like one of the worst block rates ever for a a guy of his size and athleticism so that's my question Keegan Murray has shown a few flashes can he be a guy that you can actually put on the other team's best perimeter offensive player I want to focus on the offense first, just throw out a couple stats. Keegan Murray going from 16 usage to 20. That's important, but he's done it mostly by taking more twos and they're not going in more. And then the three point shot, I expect to bounce back. I mean, he's at 30% now. He's better shooter than that. But Murray having the ball in his hands a little bit more, not really getting to the line much more either. So he's going to have to take steps forward in terms of like the offensive role. This is kind of one of the jumps that Pascal Siakam made in time. But also, as you mentioned, like being a, being not only a competent defender, but eventually ideally becoming above average because when you have Sabonis at center, you have to make up ground in other positions. You can't just have somebody who's fine. The Toronto Raptors are five and five on the season. And actually I think they're five and six after the game tonight. Um, the way yeah, I, I'm going to I'm gonna use some political terminology here, but what do the veto players in their orbit actually want now and moving forward? And so by veto players, I mean the people who can basically end what's going on there and that's ownership Masai Ujiri, Pascal Siakam, OG Anunoby. I would say that they're the biggest veto players there. And as a related question, do each of those entities know what the other entities want? Because what Siakam chooses affects what OG wants and and Masai and and ownership. So there are all these commingled situations that seem like they might be a little bit disconnected right now. Yeah, you would think that Siakam and Anunoby would like to get paid more than any other team can pay them. But is that something that Raptors management and ownership is that interested in at this point in time? And then you can also just throw in the idea that if they did have a chance maybe to be more than the sum of their parts, that that could maybe torpedo them emotionally as well. Could be a potential challenge that you have to navigate. And with the Sixers kind of moving things into position, that certainly appears that they could be a landing spot for, for one of these guys, probably not both. But which of them and like, would they make a move ahead of time? But and potentially with Chicago putting at least listening on Levine, like there are incentives to moving early if what's happening is a move. And we don't even know that yet. The L.A. Lakers, my question is they're 22nd in offense coming into tonight. What does this team look like if they actually make some shots? They've started to a, a little bit. They had that big game 
where they had the highest percentage on 22 or more made threes yesterday. And this is not a team that's built for back-to-backs, especially going up against the Kings. They had a rough loss at home to the Kings today. But if they make shots consistently, is that good enough? Does that make this offense dynamic enough that they can get into the top half of the league, that they can utilize their size, the presence of Anthony Davis, and get enough spacing to where they're going to be a problem for teams or are they just going to be held down with a below average offense because they're just not quite dynamic enough they don't have quite enough shooting i think at least getting to the point where their established shooters start to make more shots that's where i want to see but i still don't know whether even that is enough because they weren't a, a great offense in the playoffs last year either they just yeah. happened to shut down a couple of teams that quite frankly probably weren't that good and then they weren't really competitive with the nuggets after that it's also the line between being pretty good good and really good and and for getting back to the western conference finals let's say that's a reasonable goal for the lakers i think you're going to have to be pretty good or very good to get there against what will pro- probably be not definitively a stronger group of opponents than what the Lakers faced to get there. That was a Memphis team that was in flux and continues to be. And then the Warriors just didn't didn't quite have it to that same degree. And I thought the Lakers had a respectable run. But I like that you brought up shooting because that it is going to be such a swing factor. And I mean, the other one for me is just like, what is their eventual level of defense going to be too? Because you have to, you know, you have to be viable on both ends and AD is great. But is that enough to make like, is he, is he a one man band defensively? I want to go to the Orlando Magic, and a question that they're going to probably have to answer this year, they could wait one more, is are Franz Wagner and Paolo Bencaro good enough to be either individually or collectively the offensive engine, or do they need to bring in a guard that will be the best offensive player on the next great Magic team? Yeah, I don't know if they will be able to answer that this year. This is the first question posed where I'm like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to have an answer to this (laughs) by the end of this year because they just have so little shooting as i was watching their game against the bulls tonight and you know they went with jonathan isaac at center for a little while they went with batadze down the stretch they had jalen suggs out there with anthony black for a a lot of it then they went to cole anthony for a little bit but they just wagner and ben caro they just had nowhere to go offensively and they managed to hold on due to defense and and ben caro hit a, a nice game winner over alex caruso after they blew a late lead but I feel like I still need to know more because the ecosystem is so bad. I, to me, maybe it's if you, they could put enough shooting around them first, then you can get the answer to that question. I don't know if you can answer that this year. It's going to be very concerning if they can't, because then how does the front office devote their resources moving forward? And some of that is opportunity based. You know, the Magic are probably good enough that they're not going to have a huge draft pick, but they can choose cap space in 24 or 25. They will have trade resources. They don't have a ton of surplus picks, but they have some. So maybe they can kick this can down the road. But then you also need to bring in the players this offseason to properly evaluate it. So even if it's the big question next year that you can get an answer about that. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Phoenix Suns, nice win over the back-to-back leaden-legged Wolves tonight, but Bradley Beal still didn't play. And whether they'll stay healthy enough, that's too easy for me. I want to know whether this no-point guard thing is going to sink them. And certainly if Beal and Booker are going to be missing time a lot, it's much more of a concern. But I thought that maybe that question was a little bit overrated because those guys are pretty good. But the fact that they struggled so much in fourth quarters that they turned it over, that they just absolutely choked away games in the fourth quarter, is that just bad luck? Or is it, hey, they need uh, a poised point guard after that? Uh, that's that's kind of the question that I'm very curious to see uh, with this Suns team, in addition to the health, obviously. It's a great one. And the Suns have a lot of bites at the apple at the kind of the, the forward spot with Keita Bates-Diop and Utah and everybody else. And we, we really like those moves, but they don't really have a lot of those secondary tertiary creators for guys who can step in and be a primary when need be. And, and you can get why those guys weren't necessarily as interested in the Suns. Though, theoretically, like having campaign or even as flawed as he is, they, they could have just retained him. It would have cost Ishbia money. And they're a reminder, even though you could say the sample's done representative, that you that having that kind of commensurate level of talent, it's very important for getting regular season wins. And even if you are a playoff-centric team, the Clippers last year were a great example of this, you still need to actually get to not only the playoffs, but a seed where you can really make some noise, unless you get really fortunate on matchups. Golden State... Somehow still 13th in net rating coming into today. Steph Curry, really good. Rest of team? Exactly. And and that's my question is, is I think Curry is still good enough to lead a title contender. Do they have enough from anyone or everyone else to still be viable as a championship team? Yeah, maybe this is part of being an older team that they just don't have the consistency throughout an entire season with guys feeling good, not being hurt. And now Andrew Wiggins is not that old. You would think he would fall into that category, but he apparently does. But yeah, they're really just other than a few depth pieces. Nobody is really playing that well right now among the guys they're really counting. I think Chris Paul, he's not making shots. I think he actually looks okay. Like he's probably the guy I have more confidence in than anybody right now to be what at least what he's supposed to be when healthy for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's, yeah, it's a major question mark. I mean, you could throw in Draymond sanity as well like that's a major concern he got suspended for five games today and and that can be part of uh, them not getting enough from everyone else but well, and, he and had he, he was just he, yeah maybe he uses his time to unround into shape we'll see because he can't eat, <laughs> you know with the with the injuries and stuff but i mean yeah. how how does this affect the, the him the rest of the season and it is a he's going to miss the remainder of a homestand but especially with curry being out for the start of it, it's going to be it's going to be a real challenge for them and also Draymond Green was just a complete asshole last year. He punched a teammate. He basically ruined their chemistry. He had comments earlier this season about how that were just completely tone deaf about the fact that he did that. He got suspended in the playoffs as well. Then he comes in. He's not in great shape, sprains his ankle, still isn't in great shape, then goes and gets himself suspended for five games at a perilous point when he's not even playing that well. Like, But he got rewarded with a $100 million contract after all those things so he had this defiant instagram post yesterday it's like yeah i'm surprised that i'm not surprised that he hasn't found religion yet because he just continues to get rewarded for his actions but at some point it's going to really cost them and also he's not the same player that he was even two years ago 
The Brooklyn Nets are six and five, but a plus two differential. And just as a prologue to your question here, which I think is a great one, the Nets are eighth in offense right now. Yeah, that's really, really surprising. They're getting up a lot of threes, which I think is really interesting. They're probably making more jumpers than you might expect at this point. I I would be surprised if they can maintain that. Probably the other reason they can maintain that is that they've just been playing a lot of very offensively focused lineups. But now that Nick Claxton is back, I want to see whether they have enough defense with this surprising offense to push for a top six seat. That is the way the Nets can differentiate themselves, become a team that can win a lot of regular season games like they'll I mean hey if they stay eighth in offense the rest of the year they can they can do some things as well and Brooklyn has the personnel and depending on how much they play Cam Thomas and some of the other guys and what's the theory of the case how well can they execute what is Nick Claxton's level of play relative to last year I mean you and I didn't pick him as our defensive player of the year and it, it sucks that with the format of all defense last year he didn't get sufficiently credited for what he did but is how much of that is real? How much of that was a spectacular one-time performance? Indiana Pacers. Um, actually, the Clippers are next. Oh, excuse me. Um, yes, and I, I apologize. And my my question with the Clippers is: Can they even get close to the whole being equal to the sum of their parts? I'm not saying can can the whole be greater. I don't think that's realistically possible with them. But we've seen the limitations on offense, but we've also seen some of the limitations on defense too, with what James Harden doesn't do out there. And so the you're playing these as real games. You're not playing them in a, in a video game or a simulator or anything else. And I'm growing increasingly skeptical. Like I, I'm starting to answer this question myself, but maybe I'm being premature. Maybe I'm the, I'm swung. The pendulum has swung too far for me on the Clippers relative to where I've been in prior years. Well, this is another team that needs to, now that they've added James Harden, they probably need to be talking about being a top five offense as well. I think the sure. idea of being a top five defense, particularly because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, I don't think that they can bring it defensively the way they used to three, four years ago. So that that's the question to me. And you mentioned being more than some of their parts. Like they certainly are less right now on offense. And But I'm also a little curious about those parts. As well, like are are those parts? Are we just yeah, talking that, about that was yeah. Nate? That's that was actually my original question. Was are the parts yeah. good enough? Yeah, I, I, and you know you never want to be having to answer both of those questions when you're talking about an ostensible title contender. Now we can get to Indiana. They're seven and four. This is my question: Is Tyrese Halliburton the next Chris Paul? I hope he makes a conference finals and an NBA finals. I mean, this guy, like, okay, they they got some other nice pieces, but. They're the number one offense, and yeah, they're shooting maybe a little bit above expectations, but they don't have anyone else that you would think of as a top 15 offensive player at their position on this team. Maybe you would say Miles Turner just because he shoots it, but that's that's insane. That like, And the, the numbers of Tyrese Halliburton on the floor, they're 127 offensive rating. He never turns it over, and which is shocking to me seeing him as a prospect when I felt like he couldn't even dribble the ball up floor against pressure. Yeah, they do it in different ways, but is this a guy who just, he's going to always be underrated because he doesn't do it very conventionally, but like, maybe this guy is just like that good. Maybe this is like one of the absolute best offensive players in basketball, like a top five even offensive player in basketball. It's possible to me, absolutely possible. And like, if we look at EPM from last year, Hal Burton was number six in EPM. And that was behind Lillard, Jokic, Curry, Luka, Joel Embiid. And I, he's been better to me so far this year. EPM isn't out yet for the uh, 23-24 season. But yeah, I mean, Halliburton's been incredible. And then another kind of related part of that, he is a rising tide that can lift a lot of boats. 
But can Rick Carlisle get away, you know, it's a different iteration of the Russell Westbrook thing, but get away with playing better defensive players and worse offensive players to, and maybe you don't have the number one offense, maybe you keep a top five and you can raise that defense up from 27th to 15th. And then you, then you start to make some different noise. We can jump to the New York Knicks who were able to dispatch the Atlanta Hawks by, uh, I think it was two points at Fortress Phillips tonight. And I mean, this game, even though they won, I think has parts of this question, which is which Jalen Brunson, which Julius Randle is the real one? Yeah, Randle is starting to come on. He's had a, a sling of 20 point games now. Brunson, I mean, I think he had two pretty good years and also had a really good playoffs last year. So I, I'm hopeful that he can come around to, as well. And when we talk about the real player, though, it's the real player in last year's system the real player in this year's system the real player in some other system that that context is so important too for answering that one it is and with Brunson who had an unambiguous career year last year it's not the idea that he's like bad or anything like that he was very good with the Mavericks his his prior years as well but the idea that you know he was an all-star level player had the best year like it, in a way, that's sort of what you and I talked about with Julius Randle the year after he won Most Improved, where it's like, oh, well, he's better than he's been, but he's not as good as he was in his best season. Like, that's that's my concern for Brunson, because if Brunson's equilibrium is just, you know, like a step or a half step below what he was, then the Knicks might be needing to look for a best offensive player to get to the heights they want to get to. Dallas is 8-3. and three. Does this mean anything for the long term? Like, is is this start enough to make you feel like the Luca era is back on track? I definitely feel better than I expected to. So I, I do think that yeah. matters. And and the the disaster potential, at least for now, seems pretty mitigated. And that's a pretty big one. So I think that matters. And I think I think I can be pretty definitive on at least that point they beat the stuffing out of the Wizards tonight. And whether they're viable as a playoff team or any of those other things, like we were worried about whether, you know, like you and I were more optimistic on their kind of playoff hopes than most people were, but they've been a, a really good offense. And, and Luca had a misstep in the NBA Cup game on Tuesday. Okay. If that ends up just being a blip, that's no problem. And they, we thought they were going to be a great offense. They're currently third. And so the, the defense can come around. I don't know if it will come around, meaning like 20th, not meaning, you know, where they are right now. So. I think it's something, but I don't think it's a lot of something, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, I think they've at least made themselves relevant again, as far as like actually being a threat to make the playoffs and uh, maybe they can outscore somebody in the first round. I don't think that, and maybe that's kind of what we thought of them two years ago as well. And they actually did make it to the conference finals and they scored a couple of upsets in a row, but I, I still... As much as it's been exciting what Derek Lively II has been doing, I don't know that I've seen enough from him to be like, yeah, this is a, now we can think that this team is a championship contender. Now, they still have a few more assets that they can throw at the wall to try to build in, you know, one more defensive player who can shoot on the wing. And then maybe, you know, they have play finishers at that point around Kyrie and Luka and Bilu could be efficient. So maybe... Maybe they can. This is a team that could be more than the sum of their parts because you just put the right pieces around Luca, even if none of them are that talented. At least they've seemed to have done that so far this year. And and credit to them potentially getting a starter for relatively low cost in Grant Williams. That could be a real lifeline for them. Yeah. Which they well, need well, we'll find out. We'll find out in twenty thirty what the cost of that is. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, 
The Atlanta Hawks are over 500, even after their loss today to the Knicks, and they have a top 10 net rating in the league. Are they good enough, whether we're talking about this or where they end up, to convince ownership to pay what it would take to keep the Hawks together? Yeah, that's a a fascinating question. What do you think? I mean, I guess we'll know at the end. Like, if they're making it to, like, the second round, that, to me, is is where you have to start thinking about maybe paying. I mean, now, are they going to be... A second apron team? No, I, I don't think that they're going to be that. But oh, and uh, just as a yeah. as a bit of context, they're roughly ten million below the tax line, counting nothing for Sadiq Bay or filling out the roster all the way. So it would be hard to even keep this team together and avoid paying the tax. But the the lower the lower penalties for the first the first little area that could be possible. And these guys have the third best net rating in the East right now. Even if Milwaukee gets their shit together, yeah, I think you can make an argument that they have as good of an argument as anybody for being the fourth best team in the east right now they do i think cleveland will be heard from they've been really shorthanded but the hawks could do it sure and oklahoma city yeah another really encouraging thing for their financial viability is jalen johnson stepping up because he's cost controlled for another couple years they could also theoretically kind of clear this up if they can make a move on clink capella they've already given anyeko kongwu a significant salary so that could be a way to do it. The Thunder are sixth in net rating. They're seven and four as well. Just a, if only they would just didn't have to play an NBA Cup games, then they would be uh, <laughs> they'd win seventy percent of their games. But I guess the question that now is coming to mind: they have assets coming out there. They got young prospects still outside of kind of their big three of Shea, Jalen Williams. And Chet Holmgren and some people would throw Josh Giddy in there. I wouldn't. But the question now becomes, with all the assets that they have, what do they need to supplement this group? And then I guess the other question, too, is while Jalen Williams and, and Chet Holmgren are on rookie contracts, is it worth kind of trying to build a contender with some short-term veterans for you know two years kind of houston style you know but get next year's dylan brooks and fred van vliet in free agency try to make a run and then when those guys get expensive then you build around them uh, again that's uh, just a lot of questions how to answer but these are one of those good problems like they, they used to say on the wire they are good problems and the timing here is is a real potential issue because it, it's sort of like an NFL team that has a really cheap quarterback who's good, where you have you have this window that you can spend, you can add other talent, and then eventually you're going to have to pay that quarterback or, I guess, get a new one. And for the Thunder, unless ownership becomes willing, more willing to pay the tax in the future, that is something that I'm I'm concerned about. And the other kind of with that note of like, it's not only what you know, like what do they need, but like how do you get what they need because. I think they actually have enough creation. I think that's something that they do. And they have some pretty good shooters, but they might need shooters that can do more other things. Like that might be a way that that OKC can get there. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So the Denver Nuggets are 9-2. and two. They have the best starting five in basketball. So what question do they have to answer? Not a ton. I mean, they're, they're, they're defending champions for a reason. They have the reigning finals MVP and I would argue three-time consecutive best player of the regular season. But my question, especially with the absence of Bruce Brown, and we're seeing this a little bit with Jamal Murray out, I mean, he's not the fifth best starter, obviously, is do the Denver Nuggets need all five of their starters healthy for the entire playoffs to have a credible shot at repeating? Maybe they could. I think they could certainly win a first round series, no problem if one of those guys is hurt. But you do wonder, particularly because when they're building these bench lineups and they're building these bench lineups without Jokic, those starters also need to play in those bench lineups correct? as well. And so, you know, if an Aaron, like if Aaron Gordon got hurt, yeah, I would say, no, they don't have a chance at that point. MPJ, ah, maybe, right. But they just, they don't have anyone who can come in and make shots the way that he can. And and obviously Jamal Murray, you would think so uh, as well. So I, I would lean towards, yes, I, I think that they, I mean, maybe they could have a shot. Maybe Jokic is just that good because, I, I mean, I think one of the big lessons here of the first 10 games is nobody is coming, at least as of right now, for Nikola Jokic's crown, right? Like Giannis, no. not really, you know, some of the other, like KD, staff, those guys are probably too old. So, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe Luka Doncic would be the guy that you would look at, but I don't think he has enough around him. So, yeah, uh, and, yeah, and like mean, some of the other young horses in the like in the West, like Shea, I don't think they have quite enough around them. So, yeah, I, I think that's no. totally fair. Yeah, no, I mean, Jokic is wearing that crown for sure uh, until further notice at this point. A team that is ahead of the Denver Nuggets in net rating and beat them recently, the Houston Rockets. They're six and three. What's their biggest question? How good can Alperin Shingun be? Because Jalen Green shooting the three well, but doesn't look like he has made some big leap so far. Jabari Smith Jr. profiles as more of a, a, a solid complementary piece. This is uh, especially because they're competent now. They have a top four protected pick that they owe this season. So they're not going to have a chance at another star in the draft. So if you're building out what this Rockets team can be, is Alperin Shingun an offensive centerpiece? Is he like, could he be, if not Jokic, can he be like, you know, halfway between Demonis Sabonis and Jokic? Could Because I think he's as good or better a passer than Sabonis. Does a little bit more defensively than Sabonis with his size. I think he's had a very nice defensive season with some capable pieces around him now. And also, like, he just has a lot more post moves. Like, he's starting to, like, really put guys in the goal. He's shooting 65% from two. That floater, those hook shots with either hand are looking really good. Is this guy, can he be the guy that you run everything through? And it's okay if you only have other complementary offensive pieces around him. This partially relates to Shangun, something I want to keep an eye on. The Rockets are giving up the lowest opponent three-point shooting percentage in the league right now and the fourth highest opponent shooting percentage at the rim. And so that you you could make it's a lot easier to make that work when teams are missing threes than when they're making them. And so that could potentially well, and, be and the Rockets are also a team that was basically the worst shooting team that we've seen in a long time the last 3 years. They're shooting 37% from three themselves, which is seven great point. in the league. And Dylan Brooks is over 50%. So I, how far is that going to fall off uh, as well? But I think Shingun, his start to the season, like that's the big question for these guys long terms is, is like, is this your centerpiece offensive player? A team that has a centerpiece offensive player. The Philadelphia 76ers are now eight and three after their loss to the Celtics. We can turn our focus to, 
I think we kind of know Embiid and Maxi, even though Maxi, like the playoff series, there'll be some questions there. What do the Sixers need most in a quote third man? And what or when is the right way to add that piece? Maybe like a black and white film and a fedora and some mystery. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's so. So, what are the possibilities? There. I mean, you so you can go defense first, you know, a wing defender, a point of attack defender. I think when you have Melton, you can go for more of a wing guy. That would be part of the theory of OG and Anobi. You do you want like a secondary scorer, somebody, you know, maybe like a, a Zach Levine who doesn't have the ball in their hands all the time, but can create can create when the opportunity presents itself. That guy's gonna need to be a really good shooter. And somebody who is willing to accept being the third, the like the third guy in the pecking order, at least offensively, while also needing to step up at times to be number two or number one. It's a lot to ask. There are a lot of players like you think about what Chris Bosch did on those Heat teams. It it was really impressive, and it's really rare. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I, I think it's just more wing athleticism. Like I think they have enough offensively with Harris, Maxi, and Embiid that just overall just more overall athleticism i would mm. say is probably their biggest need and yeah you know, i mean it is kind of interesting because if they go for like kind of that wing athlete type that player is probably overpaid yes uh, or will need to be overpaid but those players also i mean maybe they're not overpaid but because they do contribute and you can't really replace them on a really good team but they also aren't going to go out and produce enough to be you know justify a max contract on a lot of teams in the league either but there still aren't that many of them and you still do need guys like that to be a a viable contender in my mind the wolves lost today got blown out but it's looking like they are gonna have a good enough defense to at least figure as a playoff team if not more so my question is once these guys are in the playoffs what are they i don't know and I mean, they had such a bizarre series against Memphis a couple of years ago that like getting the signal out of that was really difficult. And Anthony Edwards is certainly a better player now than he was. And I mean, you could even think about that weird disjointed series they had against the Denver Nuggets last year. And Gobert is a much better player now than he was last year. He's looking better physically. Their their lack of kind of versatility defensively is is something that I'm keeping an eye on. And then offensively, they have the guys who could do it. I mean, we we saw Towns have some big moments against the Warriors and a few other. I mean, they have a lot of guys who are playing well so far this year, and they have capable bench players. So, but what do they do? You know, I like I love to focus on undeniability for playoff teams. What do they do that other teams, especially offensively, just say, "Oh crap, we can't deal with that." Yeah, maybe that's Anthony Edwards. Towns, I think, doesn't quite do enough where you feel like you can't deal with him. Uh, that largely has been the case in his playoff career. And they also just don't have nearly enough shooting around those guys. But I think their defense could be really, really difficult to deal with as well. So I, I think, can they slog their way to be like big teams like them are teams that you might say do better in the playoffs? Like the, that size is just hard to deal with. They, in theory, match up well uh, against some of these other West teams like uh, Lakers or uh, or Denver. So I, 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 my instinct is their offense will just be too bad but uh, to really, really make noise. But also, there, there are a lot of – I mean, nobody else in the West is necessarily wanting you either at this point. True. And I, I brought up that their defense isn't versatile. I want to add the note that versatility doesn't matter as much if you're really good at what you do. But generally, you're going to run into a team that challenges that and – 
Last up, first in net rating in the league um, with a with a win on Wednesday without Porzingis and Jalen Brown, the Boston Celtics. And even though the Celtics are, they've been successful in very few clutch minutes so far, it's late game offense for me. Can they put it together? They've had some big games, some big series that were affected by that. And honestly, I don't think we're going to get an answer to this until the playoffs, though maybe there'll be some games where we can get little inklings like we've already had. Yeah, they have a 47.9 net rating in the clutch after today's victory over the Sixers without Porzingis and without Jalen Brown. So that that's pretty good, but that's also uh, 19 clutch minutes, uh, and yeah. they, both of their losses have been clutch losses. Uh, you do wonder, like, is anyone ever going to be able to blow these guys out? Like, that's that's kind of more mm-hmm. the, the uh, question I have, too. But, yeah, I, I think obviously – and what tricks do they have besides shooting a lot of threes – and making them like they they have shown some incremental improvement there but that's been their achilles heel when the threes haven't fallen they haven't had any kind of a fallback in some of their playoff losses over the last couple of years and and on that front i mean we've talked about their limitations as passing team i was thinking about it with jalen brown but it's like they also sometimes have limitations from like a dribbling creation standpoint and that could end up being a, a problem as well like if you really get into their stuff will that will that grind them down as well ball pressure ball denials for some of their best players too all right well that was a that was a tight show. First one we've ever done in uh, nine years <laughs> of of this program. We will be off tomorrow, but we will have a Friday night gamer in honor of the NBA Cup for Dunkdown Prime. So join us then. Talk to you all soon. And if you want to get that Friday gamer once again, you can subscribe to Dunkdown Prime at dunkdown.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkdown.supportingcast.fm. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.